let's pray together, and then we'll talk through um, Matthew chapter 4, the, the temptations of Jesus and how they connect both with the 40 years in the desert and the temptations of Adam and Eve. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for becoming one of us, that you've told us that you will be our God and we will be your people, but never did we really think that our God would become one of his people. Lord, as we talk through your temptations and we remind each, each of us, as, as we're reminded of how so much dis-ease entered this world that you made because of our temptation and our sin, give me the words to show people the connections. Give me the ability to, to ruin the game plan of the tempter so that all of us, as we leave here today, when tempted, we can recognize it quickly and respond like Christ did with faithfulness. Lord, if there's something that isn't on my sheets of paper here that you want said, I want to say it. So make it burn within me, make it clear from you, and I will speak to your people your word. But Lord, if there's something I plan to say that isn't either correct or something that's not going to be helpful, I don't want to say it. So convict me of it later, but make, it, make me forget it now. Lord, join us, remind us all that this is not my message for them, it's your message for us. So Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say to me. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of our Father. Amen. Okay, little, <clears throat> little uh, not disclaimer, but um, normally you, you, when I'm up here, I don't have notes. Okay, I, I, I work on it until it becomes my story, but there's some, so many things here I want to make sure you see. However, these, I want you to know that I know that these are fascinating things to people like me, okay, preacher types or Bible scholars, and we find some of these things just exhilarating and fascinating. But I remember sitting in a, there's one particular professor in seminary, I won't use his name because he's living. Um, who the students had, you know, remember when you were in school and there were particular teachers or professors that people had nicknames for? Well, we didn't have a nickname for this professor. We had a nickname for his classes. His classes were referred to as dead guys and Latin phrases. Otis salutis, colloquium doctum, sincerumorum, Karl Barth. And I, Karl Barth is an unbelievable intellect, but oh my goodness, is he boring to read. You don't care. But I'm going to tell you some stuff that some of you, if you don't like details, you might go, ah, not my, not my favorite. Okay, it's going to be a bit didactic. It's going to be teaching. But I, I, I encourage you, when you hear the comparison between a river and a man, to tune back in. The rest of you who love this stuff, here we go. Now, there's some different theories of the atonement. Uh, atonement is God's way of making us right with God, of paying the price that needs to be paid, of canceling the debt between humanity and God. So we know that Jesus is the atonement. We are only atoned through his blood and his work and his, and his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. We understand that. But there are lots of different ways that people look at the atonement. Some will say moral exemplar, that Jesus is simply an example of how to be moral people. Others will say it's the ransom theory, that he came to pay the ransom. All of these things are in scripture. And then there's this one that's got a great big word to it that doesn't sound like what it means. To capitulate is to surrender, but to recapitulate is to redo or re-explain or say again. 
The recapitulation theory of the atonement is that Adam, the first man, was given a set of instructions and he was given dominion over the earth. He was allowed to name the animals and, and everything that was available to, to humanity was available to him and he was in charge. And we know he had a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God of the universe. It's awesome stuff. But Adam messed up. Now, we love to blame Eve, at least men do, but he's the one given responsibility. He's the one that's considered the one who fell first. So all the things, all the disease, all the thistles, all the problems in the world, all the storms and hurricanes and earthquakes, all came as a result of humanity saying, we don't want paradise, we want to make it our own way. He did everything, he did everything wrong, and it set everything wrong in motion. Jesus, Paul tells us, is the second Adam. So the recapitulation theory is, and it's not a theory, it's just one way of looking at the atonement, is everything that Adam did wrong, Jesus is going to do right. So one of the reasons he's called the son of man. So when Adam was tempted, the tempter, the serpent, the devil, depends on where you are, where you read as, as to what he's called, um, he tempted him and, and he made him doubt God's goodness. He made him doubt God's declaration or his word. And he made him doubt some other things. And he bent to that. Jesus is tempted the same way with the same temptations. And what we can learn from that, which is why we're going to talk about those comparisons, is that the devil hasn't changed his tactics and so we can know what he's trying to get us to do, and we can know how he's going to try to get us to do that. Not exactly the words that he might use, but the tactics. He's been around a long time, and he has this, this set of arrows in his quiver, and, and they're the same set of arrows then, when Jesus was being tempted, and now. So in order for us to be prepared to resist temptation... We have to look at and see how Adam was tempted, see how Jesus was tempted, see that God is that the, 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 the devil that God has allowed the devil to tempt others in similar ways, so that we can be prepared, we can stand firm, resist temptation, resist the devil, and so he will flee from us. So we're going to compare Genesis three, which I'm not going to have up on the screen. I'm going to read through Matthew four, at least part of it, and then we're going to do some comparison, and then we're going to compare with the forty years in the desert with the Israelites. And then there'll be that thing about a man and a river. And we'll go from there. It reads like this. Now, this is right after Jesus' temptation. All right, excuse me. His <laughs> right after Jesus' baptism, where the Holy Spirit of God descended and lit on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven calls out and said, this is my son. I'm very pleased with him. Listen to what he tells you. The very next thing that happens to Jesus is, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to understand that we know this. Matthew recorded this after it happened. And so we know that Jesus going into the desert, he's going into the desert and the, the, what's going to happen to him is he's going to be tempted. But God is not leading him into temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. But he does allow us to be tested. And often our testing is in temptation. So Jesus is led into the desert where he's going to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, this is the understatement of the century. He was hungry. Anyone here ever fasted? 
I don't, I don't mean sleep overnight and break your fast with breakfast. I mean, have you ever practiced the discipline of fasting? Put your hand in the air if you have. Okay. Now, you can look at me. That's not a regular practice. <laughs> it's hard. My brain stops working right. My memory stops working right. If I go two or three days without food, I'm still drinking water, I'm still drinking juice, or, or I cheat with a slim fast or something like that, but they're, they're, my, my brain, I just can't, it's like I can't get my brain out of first gear. And, and then you're, you're irritated and you get hangry. Two or three days, 40 days? Can you imagine in the desert, cold at night, hot during the day. I don't know what the humidity was back then, but I can tell you that 40 days to have the wherewithal to even think straight is phenomenal. Jesus is fully divine, but this is a test of his humanity. And he's going to give into the temptation to be like a man, or is he going to try to be like a man who's following after God? Because Adam was following after God, walked and talked with God, and he was tempted to be like God. Jesus ends up being tempted, to, who is Jesus, who is God, to be, to, to throw, cast off godhood and just be a man he was hungry the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread and jesus answered and all by the way all of his answers are from deuteronomy it's how we know that this this has something to do with the israelites in the desert for 40 years jesus answered it is written man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he, he quotes scripture, he quotes it pretty accurately, but not with the intention that God had when he recorded this in Psalm 92. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and his angels came and attended him. Now, I'm going to read just a few more things because it will set us up for what Jesus is doing in the, in the passages next week. When Jesus heard that John, John the baptizer, had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, and the, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And though on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, these temptations, the devil doesn't change his tactics. The tempter is the tempter. He does some certain things. He causes us to doubt God's goodness. He causes us to doubt God's word or his declaration. He, he twists scripture. See, when, when, when he tempted Adam in the garden, he said this. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? You see, 
He's questioning God's declaration. He's twisting God's word. Because what God said is, you can eat from any tree in the garden, all of it, except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, you'll die. Blessing abounds one spot where curse will come. Stay away from the curse. Enjoy the blessing. He does the same thing with Jesus in all three of his temptations. If you really are the son of God, if you are the son of God, and then the other one's implied, but it's certainly there. Right after God himself showed up and said, this is my son. Devil uses God's word and tries to twist it. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. He's also right there questioning God's goodness. Why would God have you starve? Why would your father, if he's the provider, why would he have you in want? Remember Adam in the garden. He didn't say these things. This is what's implied. Remember Adam in the garden. He had plenty. You, 40 days, no food. Just say to the, to the stone to turn to bread. If God's really good, if your father's really good, he would be providing for you. He challenges the goodness of God with Adam and Eve as well. He knows that your eyes are going to be open if you eat this. He just doesn't want you to be like God. In other words, he doesn't want you to have everything he has. God's declaration, the twisting of God's word happens with the quoting of Psalm 92. wasn't God's intent. He also tempts him with twisting God's word, said, bow down to me and I will give you the kingdoms of the earth and their splendor. It's not Satan's stuff to give. God allows him to have some dominion. God allows him to have some influence. God allows him to, to, he's called the prince of this earth. But he does not put kings in place. He does not take kings out of place. He does not rule over civil governments. Only God does that. God is the one who puts anyone in power. God can take away the power from anyone. It's not his to give. But he makes it sound like, because he's the prince of this earth, he makes it sound He twists the declaration of God to try to get God's son to doubt who he is. Surely you won't die. Remember that one? Come on. He, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Does the same thing with Jesus. You're up on the temple. Just step off. The angels will save you. Now think about this for a second. There's more to it going on right there. He's asking Jesus to, 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 to use a shortcut. He's asking him to, to, do the, to go the easy route. Think about it this way for a second. If you were walking into church outside of this very high, you agree that that's very high right there, that wall? Okay, if you were coming out of the parking lot, and I know some of you came in over there and some of you over there, but if you were coming in over here and, and someone were standing up on top and they went, hey, watch me. And they stepped off and they pulled a wily e. coyote from Looney Tunes, remember? The, he runs in place and doesn't go and then he holds up the thing, oops, and falls. What if someone stepped off and didn't go anywhere? Or if he stepped off and suddenly two angels appeared and the guy's like this because he has an angel under each arm and those wings come up and he just floats down and quietly, smoothly, easily lands to the ground. 
Now, we know that there's magicians. We know that there's carabiners and cables. And we know that there's blue screens and all that kind of stuff. And there's camera angles and everything else. There's ways to, to convince people that something happened that didn't. But if Jesus would have stepped off the temple and angels would have rescued him and just brought him down, he would have had a following immediately. People were looking for a Messiah. People were looking for someone to do miraculous things. He would have immediately had a following. He wouldn't have had to go and do the hard thing. Suffer. Die. Go to hell. Resurrect. Ascend. He wouldn't have had to go through any of that. So the enemy is trying to even say to, to Jesus, You're not, you don't have to die. You're not going to die, but you certainly don't have to. You can be like God. Folks, even in our culture, we have this. God's not good. He doesn't mean what he says. And all you need to do is know yourself and become everything you're supposed to be. Because death is unreal. Knowledge of self is salvation and power. He hasn't changed his tactics at all. Get what God, get what you want the easy way. Disobey God's command to Adam. And you're going to be blessed. You see how he twists it. Adam, anything that I've created is yours to use and enjoy. This one thing will bring curse. Blessing, one thing will bring curse. And the tempter makes them consider, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Just go get what you want your way and you will be blessed. So the very thing that will bring curse, he turns in and says, it's not going to be a curse. It's going to be a blessing. You will no longer be accountable because you'll be on par with God. Bow down and worship me. That's what he says to Jesus. He doesn't care. I'm just going to tell you about the, the tempter here. He does not care if you worship him. He's not looking for more priests and priestesses in the, in, in the church of Satan. He's not looking and he's not concerned about whether you have a pentagram or a goat's head. He's not worried about you burning candles and chanting things to your savior Satan. He doesn't care if you worship him. He just wants to make sure you don't worship God. Anything he can do to keep you doubting God's goodness, doubting God's word. And believing that God doesn't want what's best for you. Think about it in your life. You've been there. When you've been hurt or betrayed, accused, abandoned, wronged, beaten, threatened, when you've had dis-ease, disease, a result of the fall, not a creation of God, but when you've been hurting, don't you start to question God's goodness? Don't you start asking why? Why did you allow what you could have prevented? 
Don't you? That's the tempter. Trying to get you to believe something other than what we all know to be true. God is great and God is good. Now, Jesus, the difference between Jesus and Adam, Adam listened to his wife, listened to his heart, but did not listen to God. Jesus, in all of these things, knows the scriptures well enough, consults with the Father, and answers the temptation with the truth. The enemy will always try to tempt you and con convince you that God is not trustworthy, God is not good, he doesn't mean what he says, and he doesn't want what's best for you. Now, I'm going to take a second, and I'm just going to give you a list. Boom, 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 boom. Israelites, 40 years in the desert. Jesus, 40 days in the desert. Jesus answering what they did wrong. 40 years, 40 days. They question God's goodness. Jesus never questions God's goodness. They question God's provision. Remember with the manna, and they want, to go back to, they want to go back to Egypt because at least they had leeks. No idea what that is. Some kind of a cattail. I, I really? Who's going to eat a cattail? Looks like a corn dog. They were unfaithful and fickle. Jesus was faithful and unwavering even though he was starving. They were led by God in the desert, smoke or cloud, depends on your translation, and fire, fire by night, smoke and cloud by day. Jesus was led by the Spirit. They were in the desert to become God's people. Jesus was in the desert to begin the process of saving God's people. God's chosen leader, Moses, was not allowed to, he had to die before they could enter the promised land. God's only leader, Jesus, must die before the promise can be fulfilled. I will be your God. You will be my people, God says to the Israelites. Jesus says, I am your God, and I have become one of my people. God does not forget what has happened, when it's happened, where it's happened, or why it's happened. Now, he does choose to remember my sins no more. He chooses to forgive me and to not hold against me things that I've done it before because of Jesus, not only in his temptation, but in his life teaching, suffering, death, dissension into hell, resurrection from the dead, ascension to the Father, all of it. But Jesus came to make right all the things that have been made wrong. And we, as his people, learn not only from what he's done, but also from what the tempter does. And it's our duty, our call, to know the scriptures well enough, to know the experiences of Jesus well enough, to know the experiences of the ones who, who, who fell and made everything else go awry. If we know what his tactics are, we have a better shot of resisting them. We have some misunderstandings about temptations and I'm going to throw, throw you away for a second. These aren't all true of all of us, but they are all true of some of us. These are from a guy named Charles Stanley. He says, temptation, we believe sometimes that temptation in and of itself is sin. Not true. We believe we fall into temptation. No. 
It's not like you're walking down the road, sinkhole, oh, that was temptation. We walk into temptation and it comes our way. And we either fall into sin by choosing to walk into temptation or we resist temptation. We stand firm on the, on the scriptures. We believe that God has what his, what's best in mind for us, not that we know better than God. Other misunderstanding about temptation is that, that God is disappointed and displeased when we're tempted. No, he's not. Was he disappointed and displeased with the one he just said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and then led him off knowing he's going to be tempted? Was God disappointed with Jesus' temptation? Of course not. He was, he was thrilled at his faithfulness even in the midst of temptation. Some of us believe that, that if we're strongly tempted, it means that we're as guilty as if we had actually committed the sin that we were, te- that we were tempted to commit. Untrue. We also, some of us, believe that we overcome temptation by avoiding it. I'm going to give you some gold here. The tempter doesn't care how you sin. He only cares that you do. If I struggle with something and that I I know my weakness, and so I'm going to avoid things that put me in a spot where I'm likely to, to give in, I avoid those things, and I walk over here thinking, I'm all good. He's got something else. He does not care how I sin. He only cares that I sin. And Jesus wants to help us overcome the temptation, overcome the tempter, so that when we're faced with temptation, no matter what direction it comes from, we can resist it. Because when you resist the enemy, when you resist the tempter, he flees. Another misunderstanding we have is that when I'm spiritually mature, I will no longer be harassed by temptation? A couple of questions. Well, one question. Was Jesus spiritually immature? I dare anyone to nod. But he was tempted. God wants you to know how you are tempted so that you can overcome it. A river and a man become crooked by taking the path of least resistance. A river and a person become crooked by doing it the easy way. Finding, letting gravity pull you, taking the path of least resistance. Now, we want water to flow the path of least resistance, but we don't want people to believe that the easy way is the right way. Jesus was given shortcut after shortcut after shortcut, and he resisted every one of them. You will be given shortcut after shortcut, after shortcut. You will be given opportunity to doubt God's goodness. You will be, you'll be given opportunity to, not, to believe that God doesn't really mean what he says. You will be given opportunity to, to, to think that God wants this for me and I can get there this way. I've got A, I got to go to B. So I'll just, uh, I'm not going to make that, I'm not going to travel that. I'll just do this. That's warp theory, by the way. 
the reason we don't have warp drive. God wants you to resist the tempter. We have convinced ourselves in our world, in our, especially the United States, that God's job, that God came to make my life comfortable. And when you start believing that, you're hearing the tempter. Because when you aren't comfortable, God must have done something wrong. God doesn't do things wrong. See, God did not come to make my life more comfortable. God came to make my life more holy. And you do not become holy with ease. In fact, holiness comes through dis-ease, through difficulty, through frustration, through temptation and withstanding temptation. Yes, God comforts us. In fact, God is our comfort. But that doesn't, if God is our comfort, it doesn't mean that our life is going to be comfortable. It means even especially when it's not, we have someone to rely on, someone who understands, someone who's been tempted, someone who's been sick, someone who's walked this planet like we have. Think about it this way. If you've ever been in the hospital, and I have many times as a patient, it, but if you've, or if you've been broken up with, if you've been betrayed, you know, all those things that make you just go, why? Did you have a friend I hope you did, that sat with you, that didn't try to fix it, but just experienced it with you. If someone sat with you in your pain, in your sickness, in your betrayal, would you consider them a good friend? Of course. But why is it that when, we're, when life hurts and God is our comfort, that he joins us in it, but we think of him as bad. How could you let this happen? Why didn't you stop this? See, we're told God is our comfort. We're told that God is our protector. But we're also told to pick up your cross, that you will be persecuted because of me. In this world, there will be trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world. Doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. He even goes so far as to say, blessed are those who people say awful things about because they belong to me. So if I return, if someone accuses me of something or sends me a scathing email, if I respond to them in kind, not in kindness, but in kind, I've given into the temptation that God's word doesn't mean what God's word means. Because he tells me, when someone slaps your cheek, give them the other one. He tells me to pray for those who persecute me. He tells me to bless those who harm me. You will be tempted in all kinds of ways. But most of the time... You'll be tempted to believe that God's not trustworthy or one of his people isn't, that God is not good or that his people aren't, that God doesn't mean what he says or that his people got it wrong or God doesn't want what's best for you. And he does.
if you try to take the shortcut, the very thing you want, I want God's blessing without having to go the way God wants me to go. That's what temptation is. It's shortcut. If you try to get, if you want what God wants for you, or you want what you want for you, and you're not going to get it God's way, it will leave you hollow every time. However, if you believe that God wants what's best for you, and you're willing to go the way he calls you to go, you will be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but if the end product is fulfillment or hollow, I'd rather have the fulfillment. It's just harder, much harder. I'll end with this. You've heard it from me before. Sometimes we want to believe that when God puts a rule or if God gives us, look, you're going to have to turn the other cheek. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to not respond in kind. You're going to have to pray for those who persecute. You're going to have to bless those who curse. That God gives us those rules to deny us pleasure. Oh, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to have what he has. But God is very clear in his scriptures that the reason those boundaries are there, the reason the word of God is there, the reason, the reason God interacts with us is to protect us from the pain of the curse that we actually crave. He's not trying to deny us pleasure. He's trying to keep us from being cursed. There's abundance of blessing. And there's one thing that curses. Which one do you want? And who's trustworthy? God or the one who tells you he's not? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that Jesus didn't take the shortcut, any of them. Thank you that he is our strong tower. He is our comfort. He is our protector. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. And thank you that he made it abundantly clear that this life's going to be hard. Thank you too, Lord, that when we're tempted, you always give us a way out. Help us see the schemes of the tempter and trust the truth of our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit you give us, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. One of the ways that God makes us holy is to produce in us a character trait that Jesus had called perseverance. Now, he knows that if you give in to temptation once, it's easier to give into it again, which is easier to give into it the next time. And before you know it, you can't even remember the truth of God's word. The inverse is true. If you resist it this time, you'll grow stronger and you'll be able to resist it more quickly next time and next time and next time and next time. You'll never be without temptation, but you will become perseverant. And that is something God wants to produce in you and he wants to produce in me. He doesn't want to make our lives easier. He wants to make them holier. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ. Amen.